Hey friends, Daniel Schreiner here with the Disciple Henson Podcast. This last weekend on Sunday evening, we heard from Noel Koski's dad, Justin Reimer, and from Noel herself about the Elisha Foundation. And in this episode, I interview Severin Hamilton, who is the program director for the Elisha Foundation. You want to know how you can serve families and individuals with disability or special needs? Listen to this episode. Are you an individual with a disability or special need? Listen to this episode, and I hope you are encouraged and helped. Severin Hamilton, welcome to the Disciple Hints Podcast. This is my radio announcer man voice. All right. What do you think? Sounds great. <laughs> uh, so Severin, where does the name Severin come from? Uh, Severin is a river in England. The very brief story, my parents met in Korea. My mom was there uh, serving as a missionary with the Presbyterian Church. My father was there during the Vietnam War, and he met my mom on a Thanksgiving weekend, and he stayed with an English family, a well-known missionary family whose son's name was Severin. So about eight years later, when I uh, came around, I was named after that uh, gentleman, Severin. That's a good story. Yeah. And Hamilton, I assume that's uh, after the musical? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So as a teacher before uh, Hamilton, I was a nobody. But then when I went back to teaching after Hamilton, I was the most popular guy out there. <laughs> Can you sing for us the opening song of that musical? I cannot. No. <laughs> I can't I will either. not try. <laughs> okay. So Severin, thanks again for coming on the podcast today. It's good to have you. Good to see you. Glad to be here. Um, we know each other from Henson's uh, long relationship with The Gathering. Yes, sir. You know the Lawrence as well. Yes. You've stayed in their home. I have, yes. <laughs> and you are you were away from The Gathering for a bit, but now you're back. Correct. And uh, yeah, um, let, here, let's hear a little bit more about, your, about you growing up, how you came to Christ, your family, what you do, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Elisha Foundation. Sounds good. So, uh, uh, you're born, from Tennessee. Yes. So uh, kind of funny from Tennessee, but was not raised in Tennessee. Uh, my, um, parents, both believers, dad is from Iowa. Mom was from California. As I said, they, they met, uh, in Korea and, uh, my dad went to Western seminary, um, back when it was Western conservative the- theological Baptist theological seminary, long name. And uh, after at Western, he took a pastorate, an associate pastorate in Jackson, Tennessee. And I was uh, born there. And uh, when I was two, by the time I was two, he had left there. Unfortunately, there was uh, a lot of uh, racism uh, that is sadly prevalent in the South and often in the church. And he just experienced that and uh, just was like, this is, this is not for me. And so he ended up planting a church in Idaho, northern Idaho, which is where I grew up. Uh, and so, yeah, my only memory of Tennessee back then was red dirt. Um, so yeah, raised in, raised in Idaho and, uh, uh, parents both loved the Lord and, uh, um, dad was a pastor for 20 some years at a, a church there, Mountain View Bible Church. Where's Mountain View? So you said a small town in Northern Idaho? So Moscow, yes. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh-huh. So, uh, the, the place where many people are streaming to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so Moscow, Idaho, uh, Mountain View Bible Church, planted that church in 79, I believe. And yeah, so I grew up as a PK and uh, professed faith in Christ when I was about uh, seven, recognized that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. I was baptized when I was about 10. Uh, But then in high school, I really began to just uh, not doubt God, but just not really find pleasure in God. I uh, began to just look for 
love in all the wrong places, and uh, it was coming up pretty dry, and began to kind of embrace more of a nihilism, just kind of a fatalism. Knew God was there, but just didn't, you know, really find much pleasure in anything. And uh, yeah, so in God's kindness, I began reading Ecclesiastes, and uh, began to see the vanity of a life without Christ. And then uh, shortly after high school, I uh, was backpacking the Austrian Alps uh, in a Christian outdoor program. And uh, just through the teaching, through God's creation, through different peers that were there, I began to see that uh, that life without Christ was 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 actually meaningless. And uh, and I was just experiencing the fruit of that. And I repented. And uh, that's really where I began to feel like I had a desire for for Christ and for the kingdom. Um, yeah. So been uh, praise God. And then yeah. what brought you to the Portland area? So uh, went to school at Boise, Boise State, and I got my history and secondary ed degree and wanted to be in proximity to a church that uh, kind of lined up theologically where I did. And there was a church starting in Vancouver, Washington, just across the river. And uh, so I reached out to the pastor and uh, we, my wife and I, uh, was married at the time. Uh, Did so. you meet Megan at <laughs> Boise State? No, no. So my wife, Megan, and I, she's actually from Tennessee. Okay. Uh, we met in Jackson Jackson Hole, Jackson, Wyoming. Okay. And so uh, we were both there to just enjoy the outdoors. I was working as a river guide. Uh, she was working at a different company, uh, different rafting company. And But we met uh, in uh, September of 2011, uh, 9-11. Uh, shortly before that, I was speaking at a young adult's um, uh, uh, outreach thing, and she loved what she heard, and we became friends. And a few years later, we got married, and uh, and then in 2007, we moved out here uh, to be a part of this church plant. So okay, and you have three kids. Three kids, yeah. Twelve uh, year old daughter, uh, almost ten year old son, and then a six year old son as well. Okay, and um, and then what got you? We're just going to move right into what got you into serving families and being a support. Um, for families with special needs, like how did that come out of all these different things that you're good, doing? Good. Yeah, yeah. So, didn't really have much exposure to disability um, in growing up, uh, and then with uh, our third child, uh, around six months, ultrasound, um, we found out that uh, my son had Down syndrome, or he most likely had Down syndrome. And uh, yeah, sadly, uh, within the medical field, they brought us into a room and said, here are your options, adoption and abortion. And I was like, uh, we're not having this conversation. <laughs> this is my son. Uh, and uh, that's that. But that definitely uh, was a bit of a, a, a nosedive. Um, we really uh, were uh, excited to have a third child. And uh, our second child had had a cleft lip and palate. So uh, that kind of scared us about having another child, but we stepped out in faith and, and we're hopeful for a healthy guy. And, uh, and then in God's providence, he had Down syndrome. And so it was a real, it was a real kind of uh, test of our faith. Um, and so um, he was born with Down syndrome. And, uh, but after that, after that um, ultrasound visit where they, they told us that they thought uh, my young son, youngest son, Coulter, had uh, Down syndrome... Uh, my wife, uh, who was just, you know, kind of her head was spinning, mm-hmm. um, she Googled son with Down syndrome, and this is back in 2014. And the first thing that came up was this video uh, called uh, Trek to Everest, and uh, a young man by the name of Eli Reimer 
when he was 15, so the year before in 2013, uh, he became the first American uh, with Down syndrome to trek to the base camp of Mount Everest. And it was organized by Eli's dad, Justin Reimer, uh, who started this organization, the Elisha Foundation, to support families impacted by disability. And so this trek to Everest was to raise awareness, to raise funds um, for uh, those impacted by disability. And so my wife sees this, she's in tears. And a couple of days later, we were at the Down Syndrome Clinic here in Portland, and uh, the, the doctor there introduced us to, this is the world of Down Syndrome, and he showed us these videos of different, different families and how their kids, you know, are thriving, you know, and just kind of doing what their parents do. And, and he showed us this very same video of Eli's trek to Everest. And I saw it. I've been in Nepal myself. I love the mountains. And uh, I was in tears. I was bawling my eyes out. And because uh, when you get, you know, you know, when, when you get di- a, a diagnosis of a disability, in many ways, dreams die, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Coulter probably won't get married, you know, uh, maybe, um, but, you know, he'll probably live with us for the rest of our lives. And, and then my son, Lord willing, will, you know, care for him. So all these dreams die. And so to see Eli make this huge accomplishment of trekking to mm. Everest was just a, 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 you know, wind in my sails. So I reached out to Justin, uh, Eli's dad, the, the founder and director of the Elisha Foundation, and uh, just kind of started a correspondence with, uh, and became kind of email friends. And they lived in Bend, Oregon at the time. Mm-hmm. And when we were out vacationing there, uh, uh, when Coulter, I believe, was just one, uh, we, I reached out to him and he said, come on over. And so we met he and his wife and their five kids. And, and that kind of started a really, really sweet friendship. And then about five years later, uh, uh, in God's providence, the opportunity came for me to join the team. And so I now serve as the uh, program manager uh, at the Elisha Foundation. Okay. And for Hinson people, one yes. of those five kids of of the Rhymers would yes. be Noel, yes, now Noel. Kosky, yep. <laughs> uh, formerly Rhymer. So that's uh, one of the many Henson connections. Yes, Noel that... is a, a good family friend. She lived with us for a season. She and Coulter are, are buds, big time buds. And yeah, when we had Noel and Matt over for dinner about a month ago, uh, Coulter was really excited to see Noel and, and wanted to, to play matching game with, with Matt, who at first he called Mop, but uh, he, finally got, Matt. Yeah, he finally got the Matt, Matt down, so... Good folks. That's excellent. Well, that's really helpful, Severin. Let's uh, dive into talking about uh, the Elisha Foundation and particularly how the church, how, how the body of Christ can be supporting uh, families and individuals with disability. Uh, so tell us first, what's the mission of the Elisha Foundation? Yeah, so the Elisha Foundation's mission is the pursuit of Christ-centered transformation in the lives of those impacted by disability. Um, and how would you um, define disability? Like, what kinds of uh, different folks do you find yourself serving and supporting in the Elisha Foundation? Yes, it's a great, great question. Um, since my son Coulter has Down syndrome, um, and <laughs> and you know Eli has Down syndrome, that often people think, oh, this is just for folks with Down syndrome. But uh, we serve anybody who's been impacted by disability, whether it's cerebral palsy or autism or uh, someone who's uh, you know paralyzed in a wheelchair. Um, really, any 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 um, you know intellectual developmental disability. Um, our desire is to come alongside churches and families and and provide support, provide you know gospel encouragement um, for them, for them to see that you know this is this is not Plan B for their life. That this is mm. God's good design. That He is sovereign in the midst of disability. 
That's excellent. Uh, why don't you speak a little bit to how the Elisha Foundation fulfills this mission? What are some of the different things that you guys do? Yeah, so the way that we, my family, uh, was first introduced to uh, kind of that that uh, Christ-centered transformation was through our family retreats. So we were the, the beneficiary. We were a guest at a family retreat. So um, we do uh, a long weekend, Thursday through Sunday retreats, where uh, we pick a nice uh, kind of retreat-type venue. And partnering with a local church, we um, r- really give the, the families just a real respite. Uh, families that have been impacted by disability often um, just are exhausted, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got kids, I've got kids, and finding childcare is hard enough as it is, but then, you know, add disability or, mm. you know, um, you know, unique feeding schedules or, or seizures or medications or wheelchairs, and it's just like, you know, the family's uh, uh, on 24-7. So a real uh, goal of the retreats is for respite. So the parents will uh, get teaching from uh, a pastor who has also raised a child with disability. And then the children, the kids with disabilities and the siblings without disabilities, they get like a vacation Bible school type experience. Every child has a buddy, so there's a lot of volunteer uh, manpower. And uh, it's just a rich, fun time for the kids. The parents get a respite uh, and, you know, and get just gospel encouragement. And so we are the beneficiary of that. And and now I get the joy of doing that. We also do disability training. So we'll go into a church, you know, like Hinson, and, and on a weekend, on the Saturday, you know, we'll do a two-hour teaching on, you know, what does is, what is, what is disability um, look like within, within uh, a right understanding of the gospel? Um, a big thing I, I like to teach about is that the gospel is a theology of weakness and welcome. Mm. And, uh, and if we understand the gospel rightly, we're, we'll be able to uh, see disability not as... as as uh, you know, my life is over, but God is going to work in the midst of this. So disability training for churches, for church leaders, volunteers, staff, Sunday school. Um, and then this just last year, we started another thing called TEF Connect, where we create a quarterly venue for, for pastors and church leaders to get together to talk about disability ministry and to glean from one another and say, hey, this is what we're doing, or we're not doing this. How, how would you do this? And to really see that this call in Luke 14 to go out to the highways and the hedges to welcome the the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That's 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 a that's a commandment. It's not a, it's not a suggestion. And uh, God chooses the weak things, right? Uh, and so we need to embrace embrace that weakness and embrace people uh, who have been impacted by disability and and uh, and welcome them in uh, as Christ calls us to. So. That's excellent, and we can put in the uh, episode notes some links to di- your to your website and yes. uh, a way to maybe connect with you to find out more information. That'd be great. But uh, also the Henson congregation can stay tuned as we maybe have opportunities to partner with the Elijah Foundation within the next year. Um, you already spoke a little bit to how you came to serve as the program manager for the Elisha Foundation. Talk about, so how, how many years have you been doing this now? Just two years, yeah. So what's this last year been like? Um, I want to hear from you individually, but maybe first speak to how it's impacted families raising a child with a disability. I can't imagine that it's been easy. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that everybody says, right, it's isolating. Uh, you know, social distancing is... Uh, is, is very real. And so um, when you're away from people, you feel isolated, you feel alone. Uh, and so families that have been impacted by disability, they experience that. Um, 
but often also they experience a loss of a lot of the services that they normally get, whether it's therapists or uh, in-home support or um, respite. Uh, and so not having that respite, not having that, that extra hands uh, to care for their, ch- their children or their child is, uh, is just been, you know, talk about, you know, it's like a wet blanket. It's just, it's just heavy. It's just, it's there constant and it can be very, it can be very uh, obviously burdensome. And, um, and I think in some ways it's, it's, it's a blessing for those, you know, let's say who have typical kids, uh, kids without disabilities to begin to see, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is really hard. And they sense that isolation. And, and for someone who's raising a child with disability, you know, if when COVID goes away, like that's, that's not going away for them. You know, they're Mm -hmm. going to be continually raising that child for, for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, so isolating, I think, and, you know, a a sense of, of, uh, yeah, just a a loss of, of the supports that, that they, that they really need that we, I mean, we've, by God's grace, my family, uh, with Coulter have been, have been well supported by the church and I'm very grateful for that. Um, so yeah, but there's, there's, uh, there's still a lot of a lot of uh, people who need that need that encouragement uh, in the gospel, and also need just practical support. Yeah, I've certainly heard from a number of of people at Henson who either uh, have a spouse or a family member, or they themselves maybe live with chronic pain mm. or a disability, that it's as, as your your typical person looks forward to the end of COVID and the yeah. getting back to life at normal, how it actually presents an additional challenge because we don't get to go back to life as normal or our family doesn't get to do that. So thinking about how to be a church that supports and encourages and and holds up those, um, I'd love to get some more, more thoughts on that here in a minute. But what, what about, um, how this past year has been a blessing in disguise? Yeah. So, um, a big, a big thing that obviously has changed, um, you know, when, when COVID began and when lockdowns began, was churches be had to pivot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so normally we're used to Sunday service and everybody's there and everything's great. And then all of a sudden, you know, all these restrictions and all these, you know, we can't gather. And so the church had to modify and make accommodations. And, you know, if you're, if you've ever been in a teaching context, an education context, and, you know, I was a classroom teacher for nine years. And when you have a child that comes into your classroom with, with special needs, you have to accommodate and modify and make mm-hmm. modifications. Mm-hmm. And so the church, uh, because of COVID, having to make those, uh, those pivots, those accommodations, those modifications, and, and take many things virtual and, and just be more creative in terms of reaching out to people, uh, those that have lived with uh, disability who have found a Sunday service maybe challenging, maybe they're they're in a wheelchair and you know maybe there's a ramp at, at the church, but just it's just still cumbersome and it's just more work to to go to church than just to stay home. Mm-hmm. And so now having these services streamed uh, to their home and everybody experiencing this sense of isolation, they 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 feel like oh wow I'm I'm a part of this now and uh, I'm not missing out because this is what everybody's experiencing and so I think it's it's bit for the church itself as a as a leadership it's given I think hopefully the church leaders eyes to see oh wow we need to be willing to accommodate and modify and and adapt and um, you know and be more creative and I think for those that that have been living with with disability it's just created you know a big thing we talk about in 
the Elias Foundation is relational ramps. How can we, how can we create not just physical ramps, but relational ramps, touch points, bridges, connections to people whose lives have been impacted by disability? And the church has done that through, you know, virtual services and thinking outside the box. And that's been a real, it's been a real blessing. And hopefully, you know, when, when church goes back to, you know, normal, Lord willing, uh, there'll still be that kind of creative energy, like, okay, how can we continue to reach out to people that that maybe are not able to make it, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's certainly something that we have been thinking about here at Henson, and I hope that going forward, the, the Lord will give us as a whole church wisdom and and uh, how to be empathetic uh, yeah. in these times. So let's do a quick little excursus. Okay. Um, it can be connected to what we've been talking about, All but right. it doesn't need to be. So you don't have to struggle to find a, a clever transition. But we were talking before we started recording just some of the things that the Lord has taught you personally or your family yes. over this last year. Um, anything you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that, that I was sharing with you, and I think that just continues to resonate, and I'm grateful to God for, is this reality that we need one another. You know, um, We were not created to be alone. And, uh, the normative thing uh, for us in our lives is to, is to share life together. You know, Bonhoeffer's classic life together is, is so true. We need to do life together, especially in difficult times. Um, we need one another. And so I've really sensed more and more this last year, um, the, you know, the Monday through Saturday of, of church is really, is really real, <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. that's where you um, have that you know uh, small group of of people who you share life with, and and that's where you bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. That's where you learn to you know lay your life down for each other, to go the extra mile, uh, to turn the other cheek when when you're offended or hurt, and uh, so yeah, I think the biggest thing the Lord's really been teaching me is um, just the one another's that that is really. Um, how we're going to be known as as a church is the the way that we love one another, especially during during times of crisis where where um, the temptation is to withdraw, yeah. to fall, to fall back or fall away, and instead we need to fall forward and mm. lean into each other. That's really good. As a footnote to your excursus, do you like? Uh, have you read uh, Bonhoeffer's Life Together? Yes. Yeah. Do you like it? I do. Yeah. yeah. It's a great book. Yeah, I actually just uh, got my son uh, for Christmas the, the uh, oh golly, uh, I'm going to forget the name. It's basically a graphic novel about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Faithful Spy. Uh, and it's a fabulous, fabulous book. I, I gave it to my son. He read it. Then I read it after him. And it uh, deepened my, my, my love and affection for, for Bonhoeffer even more. So. That's a great recommendation. A yeah. lot of people listening to this have kids and will want to yes. check that out. It's called the what spy? The, the faithful spy. The faithful spy. Yeah. What what turned me on to it was the was the illustrator. I believe his name is Jim Hendricks, not Jimmy Hendricks, but uh, okay. He's yeah, phenomenal uh, uh, illustrator. Excellent. Well, let's uh, <laughs> conclude just by thinking a little bit about what your hope is for the Elisha Foundation and the church and future ministry, and speak maybe in particular. I mean, you know Henson a little bit. You know, you, you, you know, you know us. You, yeah. Uh, Olivia Maroud has just joined our church. She, <laughs> she helps you guys out. She does, yes. Um, quite a bit. And uh, so, so maybe tailor some of your, your thoughts for how the Elisha Foundation and Henson Baptist Church can, um, you know, how we can be supporting families 
and individuals with disability. But you know, speak speak generally about your hope for Elisha Foundation in general as well. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the board at the Elisha Foundation and, and all the staff, we really have a high view of the church, the local church, and so we really see ourselves as a handmaid to the church. Uh, you know, we can host a great retreat and provide great training. Um, and, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we need the one another's, we need the, the long obedience in the same direction with, with a small group of people who, who know us and love us. And so, uh, I think, uh, TEF, as we say, or the Elisha Foundation, we want to just continue to be that, to encourage and to equip, uh, the church so that it can, can do the kind of long, long obedience of, of supporting families impacted by disability, because it's not a, it's not a flashy ministry. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, I talk about um, in my training is that, you know, um, disability ministry needs to be something that's taught, but it needs also to be championed and modeled by leadership in the church. And, you know, you can, you know, have a Sanctity of Life Sunday and you can talk about how, you know, we should be pro-life and we should support the elderly and we should support people that have been impacted by disability. And, you know, we can be like, oh, great, I did my, you know, Sanctity of Life service or sermon. But if it's not really championed um, by the leadership of the church, then it's just going to be kind of a one-off and, and you know, pat yourself on the back and move on. But uh, so, yeah, to help the church really champion disability ministry. So a lot of what I do with TEF Connect, you know, even what kind of spurred this, this podcast uh, with you, Daniel, was just like, I'm going to be kind of that kind of maybe annoying guy that's like, hey, there's disability ministry. And hey, how can we, how can your church, you know, be more, be more mindful of, of those in your community that have been impacted by disability? So Tef wants to just kind of be that, be that bell of sorts to remind us that, uh, that the gospel is a theology of weakness, you know, mm-hmm. that we, you know, I was reading First Corinthians, you know, not many of us were wise or, you know, all put together. God chose, chooses the weak to, to, to shame the wise. And if you continue on, you know, in First Corinthians, you get to First Corinthians twelve, and the body of Christ, and how all the members are needed, and the weaker members need to be shown greater honor, and they're indispensable, and uh, in our kind of, you know, uh, uh, church kind of culture of, of of productivity and professionalism, and and you know, um, it can just it can you can lose that heart that that this you know group of people impacted by disability they may not be productive in a you know in a sense, or they may not be big tithers or, you know, whatever the, the, the rubric might be, but those weak members need to be shown greater honor. And uh, so I think, yeah, so to go back to your initial question, I think I want to see the Elisha Foundation uh, continue to encourage and equip the church mm-hmm. to kind of continue that long obedience. And then I would love to, you know, see the church um, begin to really uh, morph faithfully reflect that 1 Corinthians 12, you know, uh, idea that that all the members are needed, that the weak ones are indispensable. And I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm six years into this, you know, when we got Coulter's diagnosis before that, I didn't honestly really think that much about disability. So mm-hmm. it was God's, again, kindness that kind of opened my eyes to see that. And so I see myself personally just as, again, being a, a being a bell, being a voice to say, hey, um, these people are, are indispensable and uh, they need to be shown honor and, and not just seen as a need, but seen as an asset to the body of Christ. So, yeah. That's excellent. So any, any practical kind of next steps? Um, if, you're, if you're someone who's listening to this, do you have just some kind of ideas of how to take a step forward in faithfulness and obedience and love 
uh, towards uh, families who have maybe a child with disability or uh, a member who has disability themselves. Any, and it's because sometimes it can be so hard just to get started to know where to start. You you just mentioned before mm-hmm. Coulter's diagnosis, kind of not knowing what to do. I think that's where yeah. the majority of us are. We maybe have a heart, but then we get kind of sidetracked yeah. because we don't know what to do. Yeah, well, I'll make I'll make it personal. So Coulter was born. Um, and he has uh, an astigmas uh, with his eyes, so his eyes are kind of, uh, kind of wonky. And uh, and uh, we were over at um, uh, dinner with another family who have a, a son with Down syndrome who doesn't have an astigmas with his eyes, and the daughter uh, of this of, of this other uh, family who, you know, has, has a brother with Down syndrome, she was like, why are his eyes weird? You know? So she, she, she knows Down syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. But she doesn't know this nystigmas. And, and, uh, you know, when there's something that's, that's, that's weird or, or not typical, um, you know, as, as a child, you just, you ask questions. Yeah. As adults, we, we, we don't. We ignore. We, we ignore, oh, right? Yeah, we yeah. ignore, we avoid, we, uh-huh. you know, and so, uh, it's, it's, that's, I think that's what, if, if you are, you know, feeling kind of the Lord, Put on your heart, hey, you need, you know, this is maybe an area that God wants you to pursue, is 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 ask questions. So, you know, if you know somebody in your community that maybe they're in a wheelchair, uh, uh, maybe you know they have a child with Down syndrome or a child with cerebral palsy, um, get to know them and just simply ask questions, um, and you know, um, realize see that person as an image bearer, not as, uh, you know, I'll talk about this a lot in my teaching. You know, don't use. Don't use adjectives to define people. You know, it's not that Down's boy or that autistic girl. It's, it's that you know, hmm. boy who has Down syndrome or that girl who, who has autism. Um, you know, so people first language. Um, but yeah, hmm. don't mm-hmm. be afraid to ask questions hmm. uh, and begin to just uh, learn. Um, you know, take a step forward towards towards those people, and uh, don't be afraid and uh you know i don't i don't take offense if someone asks me that you know why does your son look this way or act this way i see it as an opportunity to connect mm. uh, i could take offense you know like what do you you know <laughs> but uh but no i just see it as an opportunity like this is not typical for the for you know for this person and and uh, so when that girl you know asked that question i was able to explain what nystigmus was and she probably you know, probably maybe retain maybe five percent of it <laughs> but at least it was an opportunity to make a to make a connection with her so mm. Ask good questions, lean into those people, uh, and you know, just ask. Uh, look for ways to practically support them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, parents are tired. You know, raising mm-hmm. kids. Uh, mm-hmm. Parents of children with disabilities are more tired. So find mm-hmm. practical ways to serve. You know, mm-hmm. if it's a church, if it's Hinson hosting a once a month respite night. Um, mm-hmm. You know, where parents that have kids with special needs can drop off all their kids at the church for three hours. And uh, every kid has a buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an awareness. Okay, this you know, it's not like a you're not obviously like deer in the headlights when a child with special needs comes in. You're you're prepared for it. You know, have the Elisha Foundation come in and do a training ahead of time or once a year or something. And you know, and it's a simple thing. It doesn't. It's not a. It's not a budget line item. Uh, but once a month, you know, Hinson is uh, you know has a has a handful of volunteers who uh, are there to provide respite for. You know, a handful of families, and I, again, don't don't be don't be afraid to start small. So you know, if if you know if you know somebody who has a, has a child with special needs, welcome them. And if you know the church decides as a host a respite night, and there's three families, praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, those three families were blessed, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and who knows how God will grow it. 
But uh, be willing to start small, ask questions, um, look for just practical ways to support, um, to, you know, bear one another's burdens. It's, it's not rocket science. You know, I've read a lot of books about disability, but uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's uh, really understanding the gospel that we're all broken, uh, but we're all made in God's image, and uh, we all need Jesus. You know, kids with disabilities need Jesus just as much as, as a, a, a typical child. So. And that's a great place to end on. Severin, you've been great. Thank you for your ministry, brother, and thank you for taking this time. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Daniel.